I do. Thank you. And I love the choir number as well. Thank you for that. Uh, choir, appreciate it. And all the instrumentation, I appreciate it all. It's a blessing to be here. Thank you, Pastor, for the invitation to come and be back at Grace Baptist Church. I like the way the pastor gives introductions. He doesn't waste a lot of time, a bunch of flowery stuff. Sort of reminded me of the preacher that was introducing somebody that popped in and and uh, he was pressured to ask this individual to preach, and he'd never heard him preach before. So the old preacher got up to introduce the preacher he'd never heard and said, Well, um, we're glad to have Brother So-and-so here, and he's going to preach. I've never heard him before. If he's any good, let's hear him. If it's not, let's get it over with. And that's <laughs> kind of the introductions I like right there. <laughs> Uh, been looking forward to this. Sandra, would you stand, please? This is my helpmeet of 57 years. She gets very upset if I don't have her stand like that, so you can <laughs> tell maybe. But anyway, I appreciate her, and I'm so glad that we could be back here at Grace Baptist Church and looking forward to the time together. I like the spirit here. I mentioned it in the pastor Sunday school class. Again, in the the uh, congregational service, I, what, I just love it when you go into the, a lively church where the instruments are playing, people are fellowshipping and talking, and that kind of buzz itself is music all, all its own. To a preacher, anyway, it is, and to a pastor, definitely, I sure do like that. I love the spirit of this congregation as well. Matthew chapter 13 is our passage this morning, if you would. <clears throat> Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter number 13, Matthew 13. Now, if you don't mind standing for the reading of the Word, uh, we'll begin in verse number 1. And I'm not going to read all the way down through verse 19, just here and there. So follow along as I read, beginning in verse number 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house. And sat by the seaside. And great multitudes, I call your attention to great multitudes, not multitudes, great multitudes. No hyperbole in the Word of God here. It, it, was, a, it was great multitudes. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And then he says that some seeds fell in the stony places, and others fell, verse 7, among thorns, and verse 8, other seed fell into good ground. Verse number 9, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? They are asking Jesus. And in his explanation, he says in verse 13, Therefore speak I to them in parables, <clears throat> because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled 
the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, <coughs> and shall not understand, <coughs> and seeing ye shall see, pardon me, <coughs> and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. But blessed are ye, uh, or blessed are your eyes, for they see, he's talking to the disciples, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. <clears throat> and verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Uh, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. And then he also goes on to talk about the seed that fell among stone, thorns, and the good ground. <clears throat> As you might have imagined, um, by the way I read the passage, we want to focus upon understanding the wayside heart. Understanding the wayside heart. Father, we are grateful today <clears throat> for the opportunity to assemble together in this place. And thank you for the recognition of those who have served and some are serving uh, their country and the military to this very day. We thank you for them and for the service rendered. And we certainly need but look at our world and recognize the significance and the importance of military service of military strength. And so, God, we want to thank you for these who stood here before us this morning and pray for those who are yet serving their country in the military across the world. We pray now that you would, by the working of your Holy Spirit, uh, arrest our attention and make this a profitable time this morning in your word. You know every heart, every life, you need not that any should testify to you of man, for you know all men, your word says. And so you know who's here and the need and the heart beat, the heart situation of every person assembled. So may your Holy Spirit work to accomplish your will in each life and in the life of this, your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you. You may be seated. Try to get the picture in your mind <clears throat> of Jesus as he was teaching, our passage says, by the wayside. And the scripture says <clears throat> that there were great multitudes that were assembled. Now, uh, I like to look up words and make sure I'm getting the full meaning of things. And I found out about the term great here or wherever you read great or much. Whenever you read uh, uh, something 
that is being spoken of, and it's either much or great, then whenever you think of a multitude, you might think like this. But if you think of a great multitude, you're supposed to think like this. So that the word expands the situation so that it was an astounding assembly of people that were there as Jesus talked. Now, <clears throat> as Jesus taught, um, and men would see the great multitudes there, uh, men are impressed by great numbers. Now, that's just a fact. We are. I remember some demonstrations that have taken place in Washington, D.C., in that mile-long area they call the Mall. And when they would show an overhead view of a million people that are assembled there, it's mind-boggling. It's just a great multitude of people. You'll see that on football Saturdays this time of year where the great coliseums and the stadiums are, That'll seat some of them 100 up to 110,000 uh, people. They'll have the Goodyear blimp at some of those special games, and they'll always show you a view looking down upon that stadium, and you look at the multitude, and, and it's totally impressive. Uh, I live in the state of Oklahoma. We play a little football some years uh, there, and uh, I've been a Sooner fan my whole born days. I've been to a grand, never lived more than an hour and a half away from the stadium. And I'm 78 years old, and I've already been to five games there. And so I'm a good fan. So anyway, the last time I was there, they were playing Texas A&M. Uh, 84,000 people assembled there. My son and another young man and I were seated there in the, um, in the uh, north end zone, and as we're waiting for a TV timeout or something, I'm looking upon that mass of humanity there. And I said to my son, I would love to have the microphone for five minutes. My son said, Dad, if you're going to do it, you need an hour. I said, okay, an hour. That's good. I'm just wishing anyway. Why not an hour? And, and so why would I do that? Well, I'm looking at this mass of humanity and if we're where we're supposed to be as a child of God, then we understand we're not looking at just 84,000 football fans. We're looking at 84,000 souls that are going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. So I think if I think that way, how do you think Jesus thought? As he looked upon the great multitudes, you'll never hear him say anything like this to the disciples. A good crowd we had today, wasn't it? Man, that was impressive. Can you believe how many people came out to hear this uh, person from Nazareth uh, teach and preach? He never talked like that. Uh, when Jesus looked at the multitudes, I'll tell you what he saw. Not what everybody else saw, but what he saw was soil. That's what our passage says. He saw dirt. <laughs> That's not in a demeaning way. Uh, but he saw soil that needed the seed. And so he looks upon the multitude, and I have no doubt in my own mind that in, the, in, in their view, in their ability to see, he pointed over here to a hillside and said, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, if you don't believe he did that, then we can still be friends. But Jesus is the master of the visual aid and the master teacher. And when he said, behold, a sower went forth to sow, it would be just like him to call attention to a sower 
that is over on the seaside, uh, uh, hillside in tilled soil, and he is sowing the seed. He would have had a bag over his shoulder, and they would have sowed by the broadcast method. Let's say that it was wheat, and he has this bag full of wheat. He holds it open, the mouth of it, with this hand and reaches in with this hand, and he skillfully and methodically then begins to scatter the seed in the field. And so I can just see the people looking, and sure enough, a sower went forth to sow. And as he sows, he covers the ground that's been tilled and ready to receive the seed. Later, they'd use an instrument to, that would cover the seed some, and then the rain would come, the seed would germinate, and the crop would come. So Jesus said in this parable that he is the sower, that the soil is the soul or the heart of man. And the field is the world. That's what Jesus taught. So the sower went forth to sow. The sower is Jesus. The seed is the word of God. And the soil, the heart of man. Get that picture in your mind. And then Jesus said this, to begin with, that some of the seed fell by the wayside. Now, somebody might say, what in the world is that about? I mean, what is the wayside? And there are others that I'm sure have full understanding of it. But it's very, very simple that in their economy of things, in their culture, what they would have done was had their, they would have lived in villages, not many of them necessarily lived out in the country, and then they would go out to farm, and they would follow a main road that would take them out to a certain area, and then their properties were mostly divided where they grew their grain, not by fences like we would know in our part of the country in Oklahoma, uh, but they were divided by a path. And this path would be used by the farmer that farms in this field and the farmer that farms over in this field, and they would share a common narrow pathway there. And on that pathway is where they would enter to do their work. Uh, the foot of men would tra uh, trample over that path. Uh, the foot of beasts that would be pulling carts would trample over that path. The wheels of carts would go over that path. So that path in particular times of the year would be very, very well traveled. And on this side is soft and tilled soil. On this side is soft and tilled soil. And here is this path. Now, this path that is traveled over time and time again, you don't have to be a scientist to figure this out. You know what's going to happen. That dirt is going to become packed. It's going to become very hard. And in fact, it can get very, very hard. I had the privilege of being raised by a wheat farmer, myself. We lived on country roads way before they were putting on all the sand and the gravel and even asphalt and such as that. And those roads, it gets so, so muddy, just absolutely terrible. And then uh, after rains and everything, then they would pass. The sun would come out, and uh, the county grader would come out, and he would take care of those ruts that were out there. And it was so great to ride your bicycle out there uh, right after the grader had come by because it's smooth, and it's just really, really fun to ride on. But then traffic keeps coming over and coming over. And the next thing you know, if you're going to ride your bike out there, you've got to be careful because you have a crash or a wreck. And I rode with my sisters who couldn't wait to see me have a crash. 
and they played dirty in their races, and sure enough, I'd crash, and some of that soil was as hard as a rock. It seemed like concrete. I mean, it was very, very hard. Why? Because buses and cars and farm trucks and oil field equipment, they'd come over that road and over that road, and it just got hard, hard, hard. All right? Well, that's the way their path got. So when the sower comes and he's sowing the seed, when he comes to the edge, he is not going to spare. He wants all the tilled soil to be properly covered. And in so doing, some of that seed would fall on the wayside. This over here in the tilled soil would be caused to sink into the soil and grow. And the seed that is there would lie where? Right on top of the soil. You could step on it and it wouldn't penetrate the soil. And it lie there. And birds would come and catch it away, take it away, and it would produce what? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I could show you that in places where there are oil field tanks in our part of the country where trucks come in to till the fields and they pack it down. And those roads, even when a farmer drills right over it and puts the seed there, nothing grows. Why? Because of the hardness of the soil. It's not going to grow. Now, Jesus isn't giving a lesson, obviously, in agriculture. He is interested in the hearts of men. And he said to us that there are hearts of men that become like that wayside soil. So even when the seed is sown, it doesn't produce anything. That's what our Savior is teaching us. Now, in order to get his teaching and his understanding, we have to considering the context here, uh, that he is, he, he, he is indicting the nation of Israel. He came into his own, remember him not, uh, remember that, that he came to his own and his own received him not. And he came into his own and said to the, uh, to the disciples as he sent them out, go to none but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And initially as the gospel was being taken, that's where the gospel was taken to those that were the Jews and to the nation of Israel. But in his account here and in his teaching, he is exposing the, he is exposing the rebellion of a people who have refused to receive his word. And I want you to look with me in verse number 13. Watch this. It gives us the insight that we need as we begin here in verse 13. Jesus said, therefore, they want to know why you're speaking in parables. Jesus said, therefore, speak unto them in parables, because they, seeing, see not. Stop right there. Who is they? Who, who is that about? Because they, seeing, see not. Well, I'll tell you who they is. They is whoever Isaiah, verse 14, prophesied to. See, and I know this is simple, but I mean for it to be. And, and they would be the nation of Israel, and that is the people to whom the prophet Isaiah prophesied. So here is Jesus now, and we have to understand that he is now following John the Baptist, uh, who we might preach about this week. And John the Baptist said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we know that John the Baptist was to pave the way and make the way smooth and prepare for the teaching, the preaching, the work of the Messiah and the coming of the Messiah. That was the work of John the Baptist. All right? Now, John the Baptist is doing that in relation to whom? 
to the nation of Israel, to the Jews, okay? So here's what he says, that Isaiah preached to these people. Time out. Isaiah preached 800 years before this. The ministry of Isaiah preceded what Jesus is doing by eight centuries and a little more. And so here, Jesus said, I'm talking to the same people that Isaiah talked to. No, they're not 800 years old, but this extension or the continuation of the nation of the Jews. And what he is saying is, you need to understand how long they've been in this spiritual condition that I'm going to expose right here. And here is their spiritual condition. Look at it in verse 13. They see, but don't see. Seeing, they see not. And hearing, they hear not. So what is this saying about a people? Well, it is simply this. It is simply that God has come to them and spoken to them. In fact, if we just look back, all oh, let's say about 1,200 years from the time of Jesus, and I want you to think with me for just a moment and follow along. Think about 1,200 years back. What was going on 1,200 years back? Approximately at that time is when they entered into the land of Canaan and began what we know as the time of the judges. And so they had 400 years in the land under the times of the judges at which time prophets would come and confront them about their spiritual condition. And you read the book of Judges, and by the time you come to the end of the Judges, you might want to go take a bath because it's an ugly book. It's an ugly time of their history. And so though that God had given them judges, some were very good, and though he had given them prophets... And the prophets would teach and preach what? Thus saith the Lord. That's all they had. That's all the prophets knew to do was say what the Lord said. And then after the time of the judges, they were at such a spiritual low that they said, even though they had a man by the name of Samuel as their prophet, come on, a true man of God, they had Samuel as their prophet and judge. He was the last judge because the people said, we want a king to be like all the other nations. So then they entered into a 400-year period of having kings. Saul was the first king 40 years. David's the second king 40 years. Solomon the third king for 40 years. And then they had the 280 years before the Babylonian captivity when Israel was carried away. So what is much of our Old Testament about? It's about the time that they were in the land under the kings and the prophets. They wanted a king. God gave them kings. They finally had the divided kingdom. The northern kingdom had 18 kings in their history, and they were 0 for 18. They didn't have a good one among them. The southern kingdom lasted about 100 years longer, and they had 20 kings, eight of which were good. And throughout this time, the prophets are coming to them and saying, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord about what? about their spiritual condition, about their idolatry, about their immorality, about their perversion, 
about their resistance of God and rebellion against God. Are you listening to this, ladies and gentlemen? I'm just talking about, you want to see the long-suffering and the patience of God? Then you read the Old Testament and hear the prophets come a time and time and time and time again. And they would say, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And they were giving them the word of God. Now, I've been trying to be a preacher a few years myself, 56 years, and, it, I, and when I get in the Word and a message gets a hold of my heart, I can't wait to preach it. And I, I can't stand up and just give a talk. I don't even know what that's like. But I get it, and it just kind of burns in my soul. I'm not claiming to be a prophet like Elijah or any of those men, but I'm just saying the same Word of God that set them on fire would surely set a man today on fire. And, and, and I love preaching. And when I preach many times, I, 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 I might be appealing, especially when I was pastor, and I knew more about the spiritual condition of the flock. I remember saying many times, I would say, did you see what this says? Did you see what it says? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see? And so I know that some of the prophets must have done that. And they would give them the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. They would stamp their foot like God told Ezekiel to do. They would lift up their voice and they would cry aloud and spare not. And as they would preach, I could hear them saying, do you see what God is saying? And their answer was, no, we don't see. Do you hear what God is saying? No, we don't hear. They weren't failing to see because they couldn't see. They weren't failing to hear because they couldn't hear. They failed to believe because they refused to see, and they failed to obey God because they refused to hear, and they really didn't want to see what God was trying to say to them, and they really didn't want to hear what God had for them, and so they would hear. You know what God kept doing? Sending preachers. I just don't understand God's judgment and things like that. I don't understand his patience. I don't understand his long-suffering. I don't understand his willingness to speak to hard hearts over and over and over and over again. But that's exactly what you find out. And this went on through the times of the kings. Then they went into 40 years, uh, 400 years of, of captivity, and there was no word from God. There was no new revelation. The prophets were silent. So 800 out of those 1,200 years, they had been hearing, teaching, and preaching, and appealing to believe God. Eyes covered, ears covered, not seeing, refusing to hear. Till the silence was broken. Suddenly there was a voice in the wilderness crying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here's John the Baptist out there thundering out the message. Now, I don't think he was boring anybody with his preaching. Uh-uh. John the Baptist was out there giving it to them, and he was identifying their sin. Read it yourself. Identifying their sin and calling them to repentance and preparing the way of the Lord. And then Jesus came after John baptized him. Don't have time to go into all of that. And Jesus preached, and the disciples went with him. And then they scattered him preached and God kept appealing what was happening there I'll tell you what was happening they were according to the Bible their hearts were waxed gross 
Now, that's not a term we use much. Sounds gross, doesn't it? Their hearts waxed gross. Waxed gross means they got more hard and more hard and more hard and more hard and more hard. That's exactly the implication there. That's exactly what he's talking about. So the prophets would come and say they would refuse to see or refuse to hear, never act upon what God said. And so every time, let's, let's put it this way, every time that God sent them a message, God traveled over their heart. The message traveled over their heart, but their heart was never ready to receive. I said their heart was never ready to be received. Willfully, they shut their eyes so they couldn't see. Willfully, they covered their ears so they wouldn't hear. And so they could not receive into their heart, though God kept sending the message. And with every rejection, their heart got traveled over again and became more hard and more hard and more hard. How hard did it get? It got so hard that this very people that Isaiah prophesied to, this very people that continued on as the nation of the Jews, this very people and their spiritual leadership, so-called. This very people finally said, away with this just man. His blood be upon us and upon our children. Crucify him. Crucify him. Let him be crucified. And God came manifest in the flesh and they demanded his crucifixion and his death. You want to know how hard the hard heart can get? That hard, that hard, overwhelming evidence so that even in Ezekiel said, eh, no man can do the miracles you do except God be with him. That was one of their own spiritual leaders. Yeah. Oh, sure. He, he came and manifest such works like they'd never seen. Even his enemies said, never a man spake like this man. And by the way, after he died, laid down his life, he rose again the third day. He already said, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. And after three days and three nights, undeniably, he rose from the dead. And even the people that refused to believe it had to do this to keep from believing it. They had to do this to keep from believing it. That's how hard the heart got. Now, we're not here to beat up on Israel. That's not why we assembled. We're not here to talk about the fact that they called for the crucifixion of Jesus and their unbelief. It doesn't matter that people want to get into discussion about the Gentiles' role, Roman Empire, and the Jews' role in the death of Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it abundantly clear. The blood is on their hands, and they even asked for it. I said they even asked for it. His blood be upon us and upon our children. We want him done away with, and we'll take the responsibility for it. And I'm just saying, here they are, already passed, and they're already gone. It shows us how hard the heart can actually become. Look at Israel right now. It's so sad. It's so sad. Somebody says, do you think Israel could survive without the support of the United States? The survival of Israel does not depend upon the United States. It could be that the, the survival of the United States may depend upon our attitude toward Israel. But it, Israel does not, God does not need America to save Israel, that's for sure. See, and here they are in the kind of unbelief they're in. I still pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. 
I still believe what the Bible says. I'm going to bless them that bless thee, and I'm going to curse them that curse thee. That's never been rescinded. I don't care what guy you might have listened to on the TV or whose book you might have read. God has never rescinded his covenant with his people Israel, and everything he promised in that covenant is going to come to pass. Every I dotted and every T crossed. It's going to happen. But who could deny the hardness of the heart? Did you ever see anyone exposed to the gospel become hard-hearted? I remember hearing when I was a kid growing up in revival meetings and that old evangelist would stand up there and he would preach away and he'd say, I was preaching over here and there's a man over here and a man over there and he had a hold of the back of the pews and his knuckles were white and he was under the conviction of the Holy Ghost and they would talk about that. And I went for the longest time and never saw that myself. You know, I was pastoring in Stillwater, and, in Oklahoma, and this is years ago. This is years ago. There's a reason I'm telling this, if you'll stay with me on it. It was years ago. I mean, we're talking about probably 1977 or 78 when this happened. That uh, We had a wonderful bus ministry, and, and uh, uh, a lady and her uh, 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 bus workers talked to a lady at, kind of out in a rural area, and the kids rode the bus to Sunday school. And then she came. She got saved. The kids got saved. Baptized them all. And then they kept praying. Finally, on a special day, Dad came. And he was lost. I'm going to call him Bob. That's not his name, but I'll just call him Bob. I'm sorry for any Bobs that are here. I just see. Okay. Uh, but so here's, here's Bob. He finally came. And he came, and, and they sat right over here. Our auditorium was a little different than this. It just had three sections. So they would have been sitting right over here just on the second row. And how they ever got Bob on the second row, I'm, I don't remember how that happened, but there he was. And I remember preaching that morning, Pastor, and you could tell this man is under conviction. And so I spoke to him at the door, went by the house that week, and thanked him for coming. He wasn't there. Yeah, we're going to be back. Yeah, Bob said he would come, so Bob came the next Sunday. The next Sunday, he's really under conviction. You can tell. And I mean, I saw him grabbing those, those, that, that bench in front of him, the pew in front of him. I saw him hanging on, gave the invitation and so forth. And then that went on another Sunday. And then I stopped him at the door. And I said, uh, can I come by and talk to you? I want to talk to you about, uh, you know, being saved. I, I don't have time to go into all the details of it, but you know what I'd want to talk to him about. Just talk. He said, well, this week wouldn't be a good week, but I'll be back. And he was back the next week. And I mean, under great conviction. And about the fifth time, somewhere in there, that this happened, uh, Bob left and under, under great conviction, really fighting it in the in the invitation time. I did everything but call his name and go stand there and take him by the hand to get him down at the altar. I, I tried. And when he went out the door, I said, Bob, I know God's dealing with your heart. Well, why don't you just uh, let you and I, let's go over here. And you can call on the Lord and be saved right now. You, you don't have to wait another week. You don't have to go to the church altar to be saved. You can be saved right now. And he stood there and just hesitated a minute. And then he said, no. And he went out, and he got in his pickup truck. I think the wife and the kids were on the bus, and Bob had come in his pickup truck. Because I'm there shaking hands, and I noticed when everybody else is gone that Bob is just creeping out the driveway of our church. And then I noticed him backing up. And I go down to the end of the sidewalk there, and he backs right up by me. And I'm thinking, 
Oh, yeah. This one is going to be reeled in. I, I was so excited about it. And, and he came back and he rolled down the window. And I said, Bob, you need to get saved, don't you? He said, yes, I do. And I said, Bob, uh, you, you can stay right here in the truck or we can go in. He said, I'm staying here. And I went through some things. And I said, Bob, it's time for you to pray and call on the Lord. And he said, not today. No. He said, no. And my heart sunk, you know, and I uh, tried to reason with him. And the next thing you know, he's rolling up the window, and his pickup is starting to drive off, and he's gone. Went by to see him that week, and his wife said, <clears throat> he's not here going like this. He's in the backyard in, a, in his uh, shop. And so he said, she said, <clears throat> he's not here, knowing that he told her to say that. And so I went back to the shop, and I knew he was in there. He wouldn't answer the door. He came the next Sunday. He came the next Sunday. Man, I was so glad that he came, you know. And I preached and I preached. And Bob was in la-la land somewhere. He wasn't gripping any pew. He wasn't making any eye contact. He wasn't uh, endeavoring not to hear a thing. He was just there. And that went on two or three Sundays. I kept trying to reach him at his home or stop him at the door. He got real slick in getting away from me. And I couldn't talk to him. And then he quit coming. He quit coming. Look at me a second. So close to the seed penetrating the soil. So close. So close. He said no. The reason I mentioned one so long ago, our son-in-law is a businessman in Stillwater, Oklahoma. He and his wife run the business together. Uh, Bob's one of their customers that pops in once in a while. And my son-in-law says to try to talk to him now is like trying to talk to that door or talk to that tree. It's been all these years later, Pastor, and Bob's heart is hard. Somebody's saying, are you saying he can't get saved? I, I don't know. I, I hope We still want to see Bob saved. That's a long time ago. But they, I mean, he's an old man, got grandkids now for crying out loud. But when Brad starts, our son-in-law starts to talk to him, no, he doesn't want anything to do with him. Won't let him talk to him. And he know, our son-in-law knows how to do the gospel and tell people how to be saved, lead people to the Lord. He knows how to do that. But now Bob. No, sir, he shuts them off. What happened? Well, he heard and said, and he heard and said, and he heard and he heard and he heard and every time he said no, something was happening in his heart that he didn't know how to explain, that he would have denied completely. But the inevitable became evident. Hardness of heart. If there's somebody in this room right now, and I've seen this over the years, everybody's been in church long has, that not necessarily everybody that has their name on a church roll is necessarily a child of God. If there could be a Judas among those 12 that Jesus chose, then out of a few hundred that we assemble together, there could certainly be some of that. I'm just telling you right now, if you know, no matter who thinks you're saved, you know you're not, and you hear the Word of God, and you hear the Word of God, and you hear the Word of God, 
and you will not humble yourself and trust Jesus and confess your sin and your dependence upon the work that he did on the cross of Calvary and you won't be saved, you can say no. But something is happening. Something is happening in your heart. And the, you, how many of you think the story I told about Bob's the only story I know? Oh, no. No. Yeah, sad. It's sad. If you're here today and you know you don't have any assurance that heaven is your home, that sins are forgiven, that you are God's child. I think I am. Yes, sir. You want to go into eternity saying, yeah, I think so. I hope so. Let me just tell you, the more you hear to say no, the more negative effect it's having on your heart. It gets calloused. That's what, that's what wax gross means. It gets calloused. How do you get that callous on your hands? Well, I don't anymore. I'm a preacher. I don't work. But I'm just saying, back when I used to do work, it was by doing that hammer and that shovel or in the case of a <laughs> cleaning the church, the broom, whatever you do over and over, it wears and it makes your skin have a callous. What happens to the heart that has heard the truth of the Word of God only to say no to the Word of God? Their heart gets calloused. This is not unique to unsaved and unbelieving people. Most all of us that are saved here have heard more of the Word of God. That's the seed, you know. We've heard more of the Word of God since we got saved than before we got saved. Isn't that right? And if you think that is a unique situation to the unbeliever, you're absolutely wrong. Because it can happen to a child of God, too. That the Spirit of God comes while the Word of God is being preached. It may be a revival. It could be a Sunday school lesson. It could be reading your Bible yourself. It could be sitting in the preaching services. The pastor is preaching. It could be almost anything. And God speaks to your heart and says, here's what you need to add to your life. Not now. Here's what, here's what you need to be exercising in your life as a child of God. Here's the service you're supposed to render. Here's what I want from you in the matter of obedience. The Word of God is being preached. The Lordship of Jesus Christ is being made real to you. He is the authority and is supposed to be the ruler of your life. And he says, I want control of this part of your life. I want control of this part of your life. No! And refuse to see and refuse to hear. What do you think's happening in your heart? Same thing. Same thing. It could be that God is saying, this needs to be put out of your life. This doesn't belong in the life of my children. This ought not to be a part of your life. Well, it's culturally acceptable and on and on. Oh, my soul, what is culturally acceptable today is a direct contradiction to the revelation of the Word of God. And God speaks to you about the matters of the flesh and the matters of sinful practice. And God says, put this out of your life. And you say no, and you stubbornly hang on to this is the one thing I'm not going to turn loose of. And every time you tell God no, mark her down, my friend, something is happening to your heart. And it can even get like a friend of mine said about somebody that, this, that he loved as a pastor, and the guy got indifferent, cold, that had once been on fire, and once been serving the Lord, once been like those dependable people that stand by a pastor and stand by their church and serve the Lord and you can count on them. And that was him. 
inspired and encouraged everybody else till one day or a period of time he didn't. Then he avoided contact with the pastor. When they finally had contact, pastor said, what is wrong? What has happened to you? He said, well, it just kind of happened over time. He said, I kept getting exposed to truth that I don't want to apply. In this case, it had to do with the call of God on his life. I keep hearing truth that I won't apply. Familiar truth now that I'm not going to apply. And he said, before long, I got to where I can come to church, and I still come to church because I don't want to hurt my wife anymore, and she's already hurt. And I don't want to be a worse example to my kids than I already am. But he said, Pastor, believe me when I come. I see nothing. I hear nothing. I feel nothing. What do you reckon happened to a man whose heart was once passionate for the things of God? God spoke to his heart, and he said no. God said, let me plant this in your life, and he said, I refuse it till his heart gets calloused. If you think that can't happen to believers, it can. It does. Might be a good time to talk about this here to start a revival meeting. It could be that somebody's here that had no intention in this world of even coming tonight, let alone the rest of the week. I don't know. I'm not passing judgment on anybody. I'm just saying that's possible. Let me just say, before you put your nose in the air to God and before you high hand him and say, I'll run my own life, you got to remember that you ever heard from God to begin with because of his grace and his mercy and his love for you and his kindness. And you and I both are not already in hell because of the mercy and goodness and kindness of God. You might want to remember that before you go telling him no some more. Because he's capable of not touching your heart again. That's a possibility. And the other possibility is your heart becomes untouchable, unbreakable, waxed gross, calloused, hardened, till he receives nothing. Brother Sam, what if I already feel that way some? I believe what I do is just find me a place on my face before God and tell him just that. Oh, God, I've gotten so cold. I've gotten so far from you. Only you can change my heart. Oh, God, have mercy on me. I confess my hardness to you. I confess my desire to be self-determined and run my own life. I confess, oh God, that Jesus is Lord. Forgive me and help me. I, I, I'm almost sure what I see in the Bible, you'll find a gracious and forgiving father waiting on his child to get right. <laughs> Could you all hear that over there? Waiting for his child to get right. If you're not saved, why don't you just meet the pastor, some worker down here at the front. 
We'll take the Bible and show you exactly how you can know that you're saved. But when you know you've heard from God, don't pull it. Don't do that. Don't refuse him. Receive it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your precious word. The seed is the word of God. Thank you for your word. Our hearts are the soil that you want the seed to produce in. May our hearts not be calloused by rejection and refusal. Might you have your way in this invitation. If there are some that know I need a revival, oh God, may it begin now. Now. Right now. If there's somebody that says, I'd, I, if I died right now, I have no assurance at all. I'd go to be with the Lord in heaven. I have no assurance that I would miss hell. Lord, I pray that your will would be done in this invitation time. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let's stand together, shall we? We'll have the music begin. And while the instrument plays, if the Spirit of God's dealt with your heart and you know, I should answer the Lord. I should not shut my ears to this. I should not shut my eyes to this. Jesus is talking about people who for the past 1,200 years exercised themselves in such a way that their heart was so hard that when God came in the flesh, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, son of God, they said, crucify him. Crucify him and put it on our account. None of that moves me. That should be a red flag in your soul right there. Right there. Right there. No preacher getting to me. If it's a preacher trying to get to you, don't worry about it. Take it or leave it. But if it's God's word, I said, but if it is God's word, you better listen. You better uncover those eyes and unstop those ears and receive the seed. Oh, the difference it makes in a man's life, in a man's heart, Pastor, if you could.